Welcome to the Brit Populism Podcast. The podcast that separates Don't Look Back in Anger from Working 10 Hours at the Grind. Don't you know you won't find a better way to vote? You said that you might be grieved for all the polls that you've seen. Don't really rise the boat. So get that revolution from your head. Remember things should stay the same instead. Get in line or it's nothing but gloom. Billionaires in outer space. So sit down, shut up and know your place. You ain't ever gonna get the vote out. Down, 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 down. So Keir has been great. It's never too late to get 20 points ahead. <laughs> Feel done alpaca's fate. <laughs> so don't look back in anger. Rejoin today. <laughs> so Starmer's irate. Last orders at Yates before he drives home. <laughs> Cyclist in his front grate. So don't look back in anger. Don't look back in anger. Rejoin today. This is the Brit Populism Podcast. I'm Patrick Ross. I'm Louis Greg Frost and Ned Knight. Yeah. Good evening, Great Britain. Good evening, Great Britain. Good evening, Great Britain. What a fantastic. Oh, good. good. Wow. Brilliant. Great stuff. Great stuff. There we are. Again. Wow. That was incredible. Thanks, folks. Thanks, listeners. Uh, We're all live at the Labour conference, aren't we? Yeah, we're all here. We're here live at the Labour conference. Well, speak for yourselves. This is the first Labour conference that I've not been to in, uh, well, obviously last year there wasn't one for COVID, um, but in a, in, a, in, a, in a few years, and it feels good. It's it feels good. good. I'm, looking at, I'm looking at images of conference. I'm seeing um, the incredibly well-attended Young Labour uh, event with uh, Messrs Corbyn and McDonnell and others. Um, which the official Labour Party app told everyone was cancelled to try and reduce attendance. But I'm looking at images of really? how they did indeed, yeah. Oh my God. Uh, many people showed up, but I'm looking at images and seeing not a fucking single soul wearing a mask. Uh, and I've oh got to be honest with you, it feels good not to be there. I, yeah. I, it's, it's remarkable to me um, that the, as, as, as socialists from around the country are having lofty discussions about liberation and inclusivity, uh, this conference is apparently... Uh, off limits to anyone who is immunocompromised uh, because no one seems to want to wear a mask. That's been my takeaway so far. Remarkable. I also saw a, a tweet from, uh, I'll find the, exactly the one, but I think uh, uh, a, like a disabilities officer was within Labour um, or somebody holding a position to do with disability was uh, arrived at the conference to find that the the venue that they will be speaking at was only accessible by stairs from the reception brilliant insane yeah well i mean yeah. that's you know that's that's down to the that's down to the organizers isn't, isn't it mm. but i think with well, with, it's, with it's wearing been masks organized. it's been organized shittily mm-hmm. and uh we, we, we i think we say this every other week i mean this uh this arm of the party was voted in because apparently they knew how to do stuff they knew they were organized yeah. Then you have to play the game, but they can't even get the rooms right. They don't even know they can't even get the traditional speakers that Labour conferences usually have. It was you know, the it was the uh the disabled members rep for the NEC. That was yeah. it. Yeah. Can't get in because of the stairs. 
you know, it's, it's ridiculous and it's a shambles. You know, it's there, quite there quite... are crisis meetings. That, I mean, this is typical of conferences, sort of. Well, the crisis meetings the night before to discuss, you know, voting regulation. Oh yeah, no, yeah, not being able to vote anymore. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite it is quite a handy metaphor to have to have uh, a disabled person um, physically excluded uh, from a platform um, because of where the event was planned. It's sort of a neat metaphor for what will happen for uh, representation uh, for the leadership if if Keir's latest proposals pass, because we're likely to never see any candidate for the leadership ever again that is a woman, that is a minority, that is disabled. Yeah. Um, the adults are back, baby. Ooh. This cunt loves disenfranchising people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's like to actually be, you know, chucked out and like kept out of a conference, Rosa Duffield. That's what it actually be like. That's what it yeah. actually feels like. Do you, do you guys remember under in the Blair years when um, a, a Holocaust survivor um, and Jewish member of the party was ejected by quite forcibly by security from uh, the conference floor? Um, for heckling Blair's speech. Mm. I was sort of expecting to see a repeat of that at this conference, but um, it would appear that Evans and Starmer have already kicked out most of the Jews in the party. So perhaps not. We'll get back to the conference, but just quickly speaking of um, speeches being interrupted, did you see the former US Army soldier getting kicked out of George Bush's speaking event this week? I did indeed. Um, King shit. Um, yeah, absolute I, I, king I, was, shit. I was amazed by how angry he was while still maintaining his dignity and composure, because I think in that soldier. situation, yeah. um, I wouldn't have been able to. No, no, I would have been so furious. I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it was really sort of, he just like got tackled by about five different people at the event. And George Bush was like laughing during it. It's psychopathic, genuinely. Yeah, but he did that when he got the shoe thrown at him, didn't he? He had a sort of a, a mischievous glint in his eye. I mean, he did, we have to say, you know, credit where it's true, he did duck it incredibly well. Really bobbed and weaved his way out of it. Um, but but even then, he sort of had a, a little smirk on his face. We're opening the conference, uh, as traditionally, uh, is, you know, the deputy leader, it's usually the deputy leader of the party who opens the conference. Uh, our deputy leader, oh, not our, their deputy leader. <laughs> no longer it's, a habit. it's a tough habit to it's break, tough, isn't it? isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Angela Rayner, who's currently making a push uh, for notoriety, for attention, whatever you want to call Not it. Not particularly subtle push, it must be said. Not a subtle push, you know, no. getting a photo shoot from the Times uh, and her whole life story brought out in the thing about how you know, how tough her upbringing was, which it was, you know, not, not saying it wasn't. It's like an episode of, like, Naruto with her and Wes Streeting having a tough upbringing off. No, it's not like an episode of Naruto. It's like an episode of Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, it's like trying to convince, Same thing. Nicole, trying to convince uh, Nicole Scherzer again to take her to boot camp. What I did quite like about uh, Rainer's profile was that she um, quite explicitly referenced um, the fact that Johnson's mother had also had problems with her mental health, which is a, quite a no-fucks-given approach when the body's not even cold yet, I have to say. She only died, what, like two weeks ago? Um, but she then followed it up with uh, what we're, I imagine, we're led to believe is some sort of off-the-cuff speech that she gave to the Northwest uh, Delegates event in which she uh, called out uh, the Tory scum that are leading this country. Um, she quite rightfully uh, took aim at the, the homophobia and the racism that is replete within Cabinet uh, and, and in Johnson particularly. But she then she then said that the government are operating like a banana republic, which is in and of itself um, 
you could call it a loaded term. I'd call it a racist term, mm-hmm. um, which nobody seems to have really picked up on. Well, a few people have picked up on, um, but certainly. Well, does she mean the shop? <laughs> yeah, she could do. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. Means the shop. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a little bit of nuance there. There is. There's there a is. bit. There's one percent wriggle room. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what. That's the defense I tried to use when I, I called someone fat face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the same. You run this place like blacks. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck's sake! We couldn't even make it to episode fifty without cancelling ourselves. No, but that's, that, that works for the context of the discussion. That's a shop. I know it's a shop. It works. It perfectly works. Fuck's sake! Put, put that on your pen. You're not taking a note for that. <laughs> But yeah, mm. uh, she said. Yeah, she said she uh, she refused to apologise for calling them Tory scum, uh, while they refused to apologise for you know racist homophobic comments. Mm-hmm. Which is you know, a good place to put your flag down for a while, you know. I don't. What, what are your thoughts, Rainer? I don't mind Rainer. I mind. I mind Rainer. I mind Rainer being I mind Rainer um, being pushed as the the candidate for the left for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think sure. I think. Um, would I prefer as the leader to Starmer? I think. Definitely. I and mean, for two reasons, I think she's, uh, I disagree with a lot of her positions and I disagree certainly with uh, not just her policy positions, but the way she's positioned herself politically since Starmer has, has become the leader. But she is more competent. She is more of a competent politician than Starmer. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, and I also don't think she'd waste time on trying to dis- disenfranchise and 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 get dragged into silly little rows. Um, but I also think she's not of the left. No, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah. see. I don't see how anyone can hold that opinion that we've had over over the last. And the thing that worries me is if if a leadership election is on the horizon, um, it feels like too many people on the left have fallen into the same tired thinking that they did when Starmer ran for the leadership. And it's sort of like you know people are just so demoralised that they want any step in the right direction and they're willing to overlook a whole amount of things just to try and progress things forward and i don't think it's a good way to go about to go about these issues to be honest i think within the slim context of the labor party rain is probably better than starmer but the phrase uh duopoly gets thrown around the american left a lot regarding the democrats and republicans i just fundamentally think that like if you think like a lot of people do like I would say we do, that the like an electoral vehicle like the Labour Party can necessarily never be the vehicle that you want for radical change. Then yeah. no amount of shifting around of leadership or whatever within that party, even if we do get occasional concessional people like who are on the left, like McDonald and Corbyn at the, the head of the party, the party necessarily will never will never sort of utilize the machinery to make itself uh like a, a vehicle for radical change so whoever like even if you think they're better than the last person or sort of the the best of a bad bunch then the party itself is never going to give itself the leadership to to do what we want so i agree with you on that point. i agree with you on that Ed. and i think i think a revealing a revealing example of that was um was starmer on on mar this morning saying um explicitly and very forcefully that that he would have no plans to to to, to renationalize uh, the energy companies, the big six. Um, and he was specifically asked, nationalisation of energy, yes or no? And he gave a one-word answer, and it was no. And it's quite yeah, a force no. no. And I think it's worth unpacking. A lot of people have been talking about the hypocrisy because he did campaign 
Um, pledge five of his 10 pledges was common ownership. And he tried to weasel his way out of it by saying, well, nobody said anything about, uh, you know, you didn't like, because Ma then highlighted this that this pledge and said, well, you know, this is your pledge. And he said, well, but you didn't ask me about common ownership. You asked me about nationalisation. Hiding behind semantics. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 there is a clip of him raising his hand at Hustings saying nationalisation of energy, yes or no. And he says yes to it. So let's put that to bed. But I think the broader point here is it's bad politics. You know, 53% of the country currently in latest polling support bringing the energy companies back into public ownership compared yeah. to 15% against. And bear in yeah. mind, that's that's a figure with no political parties actually advocating and campaigning for that position. When we had Corbyn as the Labour leader, when when that was a focus of, 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 our, of, of the party's comms, that figure was higher. Yeah. So he's on the wrong side of the public. It doesn't make any sense from a perspective of... Um, you know, say if you look at, say, the GMB union, who have been sceptical about the Green New Deal um, yeah. as far ago as 2019, um, it, it's not really something that is going to bring the unions on board. Um, they're either for it or are ambivalent. There's no union in the country that would be anti-nationalisation mm-hmm. uh, of utilities. It's just, it's just the only way that it can be understood is he's sending the signals... To, to capital, to power, to say, I am not a threat to you. It's business mm. as normal. Yeah, and the question it. is, what, what, the question is, would Rainer do anything differently? She would yeah. in terms of the, the the presentation. She would in terms, I believe, of, of the way that she communicates issues. But would she pose a threat to capital? No, I don't believe so. And if she, no, did, no, sure and if she did, then she wouldn't be getting a puff piece in the Times. It's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. easy. And Starmer, when he was asked that, like he said, uh, we shouldn't be doing things on, you know, uh, due to ideology, I was like, "Well, that's what, what politics is, surely, isn't it?" So, about ideologies, so while you're in this sort of game, ideology, but, but, then, like, but claiming that the 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 nationalisation is is, it's not uh, an is ideological, ideological and, and yeah. privatisation because it's the status quo is somehow therefore not detached from ideology. Yeah, is, yeah. is in and of itself, as far as I'm concerned, a fanatically ideological position to hold. Also, yeah, we we've talked on this podcast a lot about like the the, the, the Starmer's just like the the well. Firstly, he's he's an agent of capital, obviously, but like the idea that that how things are currently is just the status quo, and you're fighting against the current by by trying to relationalize or do things differently is just such a common uh, a nihilistic pitfall. Like it's in this it, it's it's the same it's the same beast as when we talk about. Uh, uh, people accusing the Tories of being competent rather incompetent rather than pursuant of an, a- an actual ideological project in mm-hmm. which they are succeeding, mm-hmm. which is what privatization is. Privatization isn't the norm. Capital isn't the norm. That is, it's pure ideology. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it is, well, I mean, it is, it is the norm. It is the norm now, but that doesn't mean it's the natural state of... of in a vacuum. Of, no, 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 not yeah, at all. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, yeah. The same, the, the same, the same people that think that that all sort of in a, any timeline, human nature is to revert to like, like capitalistic modes of production and operation in society, which is just simply not true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know how uh, how would uh, it, it just make capitalism you is not how, human nature? How Neolithic man? Why are they ever bothered to make tools mm-hmm. when they didn't have the profit motive? to to inspire them yeah exactly yeah for sure 
Um, speaking of Starmer, what do we think? So I think a lot of people have been um, crossing over a lot of uh, uh, traditional Starmer adherents and now kind of turning against him. Um, Starmer's like sort of uh, puff pieces on the news have gone from Vox Pox with members of the public being asked who Keir Starmer is and not knowing who he is to Vox Pox and members of the public who know who Keir Starmer is and don't like him. Yeah. Um, do we think he's going out sometime soon? I think, um, he's pre- I think he's preparing for a challenge, which is why he's trying to change the leadership election rules. But he's now gone back on that as well. He can't do that. Well, he's gone back on that, despite uh, the GMB union said they would back him on that uh, if they got rid of the Green New Deal, which I think is an interesting trade. Um, we have to... He had the Toulon meeting on the, the, the trade union liaison. Oh, it was with the shambles. Um, mm-hmm. Which was a, a, a um, yeah, I think. Uh, a clusterfuck. Even, even Gabriel Pogrand couldn't find uh, a good slant to put on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sienna Mahler of, of Labour List uh, said it was a car crash. And I think this, this, goes, to, this goes to the root of the problems in, in, in Lotto. Um, and, and I think a lot of the, the problems that the, the, the Labour Party members uh, internalised when they elected him leader was this idea of, you know, get the get the adults in charge and everything will be fine. You know, the GQ headline, he can chair a meeting, he can take a minute, he can set an agenda. Yes, yeah. These these may look like uh, simple skills, but they're vital and he can do them. Well, apparently not. Um, I think he genuinely did believe he could just present this plan to conference and they would just accept it um, because he has the divine right to rule. Huh. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what yeah, you're thinking. And the, the um, I've, I've sort of heard through the grapevine that even sort of some of the unions that, are, that have been broadly line. supportive of him, like Usdor uh, and Unison were sort of saying, well, if you want to bring in these proposals, how, 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 how do they work? You know, who, who 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 pays for the balloting that we've got to do for our members for any election? He had just hadn't considered any of these questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's just he's, he's a bad he's just a bad lead. He's just not competent. He's just incompetent. Yeah. So I, I do think the time is is coming. I think. Uh, you know, we've talked about the Angela Rayner puff piece. West Street had a puff piece, and you know, personally, I think he should do more working than less streeting. But. <laughs> I mean, he's um. So he's apparently he's a child who loves watching Chicken Run on DVD and having like nuggets. Yeah. I mean, he he. So he mm, go- found Mummy's chocolate cabinet. Yum. Mm. I mean, he accompanies his. Tweets. He accompanies. Well, do you guys fuck my mum? I fuck my mum. <laughs> <laughs> he accompanied his puff piece in the Times with um. Then sort of off the record briefings from people within his circle to to journalists saying that he'd already amassed. £100,000 in his sort of war chest for, for a leadership campaign, which I suppose answers the question of who's found the uh, Mayfair um, ticket in this year's McDonald's Monopoly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I think for me, I think the central thing of, of the central question to Starmer's leadership, and I think it's one of those things that we won't find out until after he's gone, is has he been used as a pawn by the right, as the interim leader to force through changes to draw up the drawbridge afterwards? They will always get their preferred candidate. Or has he been in on the, the game from the start? Is he a pawn or an agent? And I think, and I know that we've talked about it in a roundabout way before, to what extent is, is this him and to what extent is it is it him just being led by the nose by 
duplicitous agents within the party because he's so green. Um, and I think whether he's going soon or not, I think very much depends on on on, on that question. Because if he if he push, pushes through these changes, yeah, we've had the we've had the 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 change to change the electorate, the, the, the franchise that decides the Labour Party leadership, that's been fought down. But we still have, again, with a we, there's still the second battle to be fought around uh, MP nominations, yep. for, for yeah. which is, if anything, potentially more profound in its impact or as profound in its impact. Um, so if those pass, then it could be sooner rather than later. But then does he just, if he's, if he's, a, if he's been a pawn this whole way along, and there's immediately a leadership trig- uh, leadership bid triggered. Does he then fight against it, or or has he been in the game from the start and he bows out gracefully and lets lets the race run its course? Streeting apparently take over. I mean, it's it's a sad state of affairs for the Labour right, isn't it? The 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 one that they're hanging their hat on is Wes Streeting. Yeah. yeah well, I've, I've I've just checked uh, odds on Paddy Power. They don't even list Wes Streeting. <laughs> Incredible. I I here's an interesting question. Uh, if Keir Starmer does step down from the Labour leadership or contest and, and lose, how long past the next election or during do you think he stays an MP? Um, do, not, do long think, not long do, at all. Not long at all. I don't think he fights. I don't think do he fights think the he, next election at all. Really? Do you not? Do you think it, do you, if he does, do you think he, he, he wins the seat in his constituency? Because I don't think he does. He's got a pretty strong seat. Yeah, I mean, Hogan and St. Pancras. But, I think, I but, think he probably but also, does. But, but this is this is the, the most high profile. The, the last year and a half have been the most high profile span of his career, and he's completely, completely reneged on every absolutely everything that's got him elected to that seat for the five or six years that he's had it. He's a different. He's a completely different politician now, mm-hmm. and very yeah. publicly so. Do you think the people vote for? Do you think the people of the constituency adjacent to 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 one of the constituencies just adjacent to Islington North are voting for the man who won the, the leadership contest by promising to be like Corbyn in a suit. No way. I, I, and then I going think, back on it all. No way. I think they'd, I think it won't keep the seat. Really? I think, he'd, I think, I think, I think the majority yeah, I think will be diminished, but I think it will keep the seat. It would be it would be a diminished majority. I think if you look at people like Rosie Duffield, I think her seat is in, in real danger because she yes. is... Um, it's a very marginal seat and... It feels so. It's 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 so personal. I think in a way that 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 Starmer, I think, annoys a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't feel personally hateful. It feels a little bit more detached. I mean, I could be I wrong. I could be. I, think, I could be I wrong. Think he I think does feel like a personally hateful personal. guy. But it's it's the majority is so big. But I think I, I doubt he will. I doubt he will contest another election. I actually doubt Duffield will. To be to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, I think what will be interesting, uh, here's my prediction, as and when Starmer steps down um, or, or loses an election, we'll see the, the, the consent machine buzzing into overdrive. And what we'll be told is that the reason he never succeeded as a leader is because despite all the efforts that he went to, to to distance himself from Corbyn, he was ultimately hamstrung like... by the fact that he was in Corbyn's cabinet and yeah, he was that, one of Corbyn's outriders. Remain... Yeah. Yeah, he was he was swimming in Corbyn's wake. He was trying to undo the damage that Corbyn left. All of this stuff. Yeah, 
yeah. No, I don't uh, even think it will be that. I don't even really? think it will be that. I think it will be. Um, he, he loves he, Europe. He too didn't much. do anywhere near enough to repair the damage that Corbyn wrought. And ultimately, the, the you know the, the voters saw through him because they saw that he was linked to Corbyn. He was in Corbyn's cabinet for for three years, and he didn't say anything about anti-Semitism, and he didn't do this, and he didn't do that. And they'll try and frame him as being compromised from the start because he yeah. had ties to Corbyn, and that will be the case, I think, for 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 any leader. You know, we've already seen um, Amanda Milling responding to Angela Rayner today, who's uh, a Conservative minister, saying, you know, let's not forget that Rayner was one of Corbyn's henchmen uh, during the anti-Semitism crisis. And this this, this is a, a, a drum that they will bang and bang and bang and bang. And unfortunately, it's a drum that's been given to them because mm-hmm. the drum, we never yeah. try to take the drum off them. And that's what, that's what my prediction is. But... Um, I mean, his days are numbered, aren't they? His days are numbered. Uh, yeah. His 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 little um, pamphlet that he that he authored, Raphael Bear, of all people, his immediate response was uh, just awful. I mean, he 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 ripped it a new one. He softened his position the next morning, I think, when he realised that regardless of how bad a leader Starmer is, he won't pose any sort of threat to Bear's class interests. So actually maybe it's not a bad pamphlet after all. Mm-hmm. But you can see that the, the, even the commentary out are starting to really have doubts now. And that's really the only constituency of support that Keir's ever had in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when so they who... start to turn against him as they are now, how long can Starmer deal with the sort of sustained media pressure that Corbyn dealt with, both politically and personally? Is he equipped to be able to deal with that? And the answer is no. No. I think he'll be gone by the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And then that leads to the question if, um, you know, hypothetically, there's a leadership election, who's the left putting up for it? No one. Well, they, we're going to be told it's Rainer, but no one. Well, will, will, there, will there be someone in the left to, you know, extend the debate? Uh, no, the, the SCG will will come out to bat for Rayner, I think. The SCG will come out to bat for Rayner. And, and to be honest, I mean, which, it's is a difficult... a, it's, which they shouldn't. It's, a, it's done. But the, I mean, but... the difficulty is who, who, and let's not talk about who would get the support. Let's, even before we get to whether they're a viable candidate, let's talk about who the candidates are. Who, 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 who can lead the party? Uh, who, who, would, who would do it? It'd be uh, Rayner, uh, Reeves, probably. No, no, I'm um, talking about for, for left candidates. Who's, who's, oh, the left, left candidate. who's the left candidate who is actually plausible as a leader of the opposition? The only two, and, and they're not that minister. left. The only two, and they're not that left, are Burnham, who's mm-hmm. not that left, and if we gave Miliband another shout. Yeah. And he's not that left. I mean, he's not, he's not that left. He's left and green stuff, but... You know, Miliband's, Miliband's got good policy positions, but unfortunately he's a coward. Yeah, yeah. He's a coward. I mean, he's 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 Starmer's speech. He's too cowardly to let his brother win the election. Starmer's speechwriter Philip Collins, um, who has spoken before about the Muslim question, by the way, great guy to be writing your speech Mm -hmm. for conference, has openly come for Ed Miliband in an op-ed this week. Yeah, he's not just referred to Labour. He's got come for Ed Miliband by name. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. And Miliband, Miliband. Is still was still supporting the the electoral college reform. Miliband was even Miliband was supporting a position to undo what he had done as leader. The man is a coward, and I don't trust him as leader of the party because I will I will yeah I believe that he's got good positions and I do like him as a as a as a cabinet secretary or as a shadow cabinet secretary. But when when it really comes down to it, he will fold every single time. Yeah, he will fold. The same is true of Burnham. They're yeah. all sort of cut from a similar cloth. And then if you're looking at really, really candidates to the left, I think McDonald's stock has gone down a little bit over the past 
18 months. I think he's shown himself to be... Rotondo's time time is done. His time is done. I wouldn't be surprised if he retires soon. You know, Zara Sultana, it is too early for her. You can't expect a 23, 24-year-old to become the leader of the party after having been an MP for two years. And I think we would find ourselves, and this isn't a criticism of Zara Sultana, I think she is without a doubt the best MP on Labour benches at the moment. And yeah. you might say Jeremy Corbyn, but of course he isn't a Labour MP. He's a he's an independent MP. Um, yeah. But it's, it is too soon for her because yeah. so same thing she will like, make mistakes. I mean, obviously all, all leaders yeah. make mistakes, but it is too soon for her. The same thing with, uh, well, I don't think she's as good as us, but like Kat Smith, that's the other one, sort of like prominent left. Name that sort of left. Yeah, I like Kat Smith. I've, um, I, I really, really respect Kat Smith. You know, people talk about Andy McDonald being um, sort of the only... Uh, real socialist left in the in the cabinet and i think cat smith for 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 three years now um well more actually has done more. incredible work on um on on voters rights and enfranchising young people and engaging young people and i think she is she's a really quality mp but is she leadership no, so to- would she want to be the leader i don't get that vibe from no. her. is she is she necessarily yeah but, but then you get people who are you know "Quote unquote soft left who's desperate to be leader, but none of them are very likable. Like uh, main being like least uh, I'd want more bosses, Nandy and Clove. Get on your knees, bitch, Lewis. Um, Lisa Nandy is not soft left. She's hard right. Yeah, uh, just she's been soft left for a long time. I know she which is. is which is fucking bonkers, by the way. Um, I I the uh, the window so far right. Uh, if, you, if you call for only the, the genocide of 10% of the country, you're seen as soft left. I think uh, uh, I... Yeah, I... Uh, Overton? I'm over you, hun. This the, window's fucked. The Overton window is so far right, it opens it opens into the panopticon. Um, <laughs> I, uh, oh, yeah. I... Uh, I uh, thank you. Um, that's the smartest joke I've ever made in my life. I... Uh, it's very it's, over there. I think it's very very easy to sort of use the site, my psychic site, to foresee who the runners are going to be in a leadership contest. It will undoubtedly be Rayner, probably Reeves, I think, Phillips, um, Nandy, I think would probably have a go at it again. And uh uh I, I think does, does Thornbury give it another go? No, I don't think no, so. I no. think she's happy just being like a bitchy aunt on the side. <laughs> um I I think Who else uh, you Abbott won't give it another go. Uh here we go. Nandy will drop out early and uh vocalize support for Phillips. I reckon this is the one where Jess Phillips really fucking goes. Is she gonna it. make the push? Yeah, she's really gonna go for it this time, I reckon. You see, the thing is, I mean, that, that implies that she didn't really go for it last time, and she obviously did. She just isn't very good. Um the question with Phillips That's is fair enough, yeah. If she goes for it again, she knows she'll get humiliated again. Because her politics have very little support within the broader Labour movement, but also incredibly within the PLP itself. Yeah. Um, but of course, it's whether you're willing to debase yourself for what was it, sixty grand? That we still don't know where it went. Yeah. So if she thinks that there's legs in it and she can make a few make a few quid, oh yeah, she'll go yeah, again. She do, Absolutely. Yeah. She might do. She embarrasses herself for free in the public eye every day. <laughs> Right, this is bad. I should know. You guys are getting paid. Is, who the fuck is Nick Thomas Simmons? What have you done? Mate? Nick Simmons? Yeah. Sick Nimmons? 
He's I mean, Nick, Nick Simmons. Nick Simmons was the shadow home secretary when we supported, uh, or when Labour supported, or, or well, abstained on the Spy Cops bill on the. Oh, right, right. You know, yeah. would have, would have, yeah. would have, um, and I feel confident saying this would have absolutely supported the government on the police crime and courts bill, um, right up until there was the vigil for for Sarah Everard, and I think mm. that 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 public. Um, outcry and that demonstration of grassroots power changed the Labour leadership's mind. It's something we spoke yeah. about at the time as being indicative of the, the power that organising outside the Labour Party can have. Um, go on, Ed. Uh, sorry. Uh, what, do we think Lamy might go for it? No, he can't. He can't. I mean, I think, I think he'll ask around. Is he that liked within the party? But I think, but I think the disappointing thing with Lamy is, you know, the Lamy review was was a real uh, landmark, or, or, and there are, you know, the, the government is sort of still working to to implement the rec- recommendations of the Lamy review, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. And I, I think out of all of the 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 cabinet appointments that Keir has made in his time, I think Lamy's probably been the most disappointing because mm. he's. Yeah. He's got that brief where you know he's not of he's not in the traditional sort of socialist left, but I remember we talked about it on the show when he got appointed of saying you know he might not be a comrade as we understand it of totally aligned with with a class struggle, but there's is there really anyone that you'd rather have in shadow justice than Lamy? And then uh, it, I don't know it's just been a very weak tenure for him. He's not really yeah yeah. And part of that is part of that is Starmer's problem. Part of that is that you know the leadership has massively centralised um, the comms process and the the policy making process within Lotto, and, and and Lamy's been hamstrung. But then it's still down to Lamy whether he wants to subvert that mm-hmm. or challenge that, and in the, and he hasn't. So again, he was quite he was quite effective as a backbencher in speaking truth to power. Um, but as with you know it's not unique to him by any means the by any stretch of the imagination but it turns out the closer that you get to power the harder it is to speak truth to it mm-hmm. you know we've seen that with yeah. with we see it with Rainer Lamy you see it across the across the the pond with uh famously AOC in the past uh in the past few days yeah. I'm gonna be fucking started man yeah yeah lovely dress made in a sweatshop <laughs> yeah I can't. When I found out that the the, the designer of that dress is, has outstanding warrants in five states for tax for tax dodging, I it blew, it blew me out of my chair. It's like, it's like a curb plot. Yeah, it's like something yeah. the gang would do, and it's always sunny yeah. in Philadelphia. Yeah, I reckon uh, maybe Yvette Cooper would try again. Um, what about Dodds? I, I, I think, think so. Dodds is uh, like Dodds is I think you've been tarnished too much for a year. I don't think anyone's going to vouch for him. No. Same with that Long Bailey would, should go for it, but she won't. I don't see Dodds going for it um, because it, nothing that she did as Shadow Chancellor gave me the impression that she particularly particularly liked having that job. No, no. Uh, alone no, to, no, then become, to become the leader. Unlike, I mean, I don't like Rachel Roos, but she was gagging for the job. Um, yeah, remember when we were talking about this? Was must have been about a year ago now. We were talking about Reeves tweeting at like I think it was Reeves tweeting at like one a.m. every day, in like trying to sort of manufacture support and and be as active yeah. as possible. Yeah, yeah, she 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 really tried to. I mean, she got it. 
I mean, Reeves talking about wanting to create a value for money office for the government. If she was that concerned about value for money for the taxpayers, she would stand down as an MP immediately. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, it also strikes me as um, just on a, not on a, even on a political note, but just on a simply logical note, if you say that you care about value for money and you're going to create an entire new government organisation in a way to burnish your credentials that you care about value for money, I think most people would look at that and say, that doesn't seem like value for money to me. That's insane, they would say. And you know, we already have, we, if, if you knew a little bit about you know, the non-governmental organisations that exist, you'd probably say, well, surely you just add that to the remit of the Office of Budget Responsibility, yeah, which is a thing that already exists. But it's good value for money if you have two separate government organisations doing the same thing. I'll tell you what people are desperate to get right now. Petrol. Petrol, baby. Petrol. That's stinky. Ebenol gasolina. That, gasolina. That stinky juice that gets me to school. They, they call it the black gold. The black liquid gold. Black gold. Uh, uh, no, I don't know about you, because I was uh, up and down uh, London all yesterday. And every petrol station I saw had queues mm-hmm. of the wazoo mm-hmm. blocking every lane of traffic because what this country, and this country I specifically mean uh, daft English curtain twitchers, uh, love more than anything else, is a panic buy. Mm. We saw this at the beginning of lockdown when just like, listen, I'm, I live by myself, but I need 40 bags of pasta and 80 toilet rolls. Yeah, I, I, I don't get... Okay, so two things. Firstly, you heard that right. If there's on the off chance that um, anyone's listening from outside the UK, there's a, a petrol shortage currently. But the reason there is a petrol shortage was because everybody has gone out to buy the petrol because they were scared there was going to be a petrol shortage, which there okay, was not. It's not like still the chi- not a petrol shortage. It's not like the chicken shortage. The two chicken shortages, can't believe you've been through two in my lifetime, scary. But the two chicken shortages, it's like if the chicken shortages were because everybody decided to go to KFC at once. Well, I think there's, so here's, here's the important distinction that I think needs to be made on this. What is a stupid country. There is no petrol shortage per se, but there is a petrol shortage at some level because there is a difficulty in getting the petrol from one storage point to the storage point where consumers can actually access it. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, you know, it's it's all very well and good to say, oh, there's no petrol shortage, we've got shitloads stockpiled up. But if you can't deliver it to the consumers, then that's yeah. still that's still a de facto shortage. People want to blame this on Brexit. Um, it's had a clear, clear impact because no other countries in Europe are experiencing the sort of petrol shortage that, that, that the UK currently is. Yeah. And a lot of that is down to the fact that as with all of the supply chain shortages in the UK, I mean, again, there is supply chain shortages across the world, the, the, the impact that the pandemic's wrought. The White House have recently, recently sort of announced a, a task force of some sort um, to deal with resilience in the supply chain in the States. But it's hitting the UK worse because of Brexit. That, that's, without, that's without a doubt. Um, because we previously had this pool of exploitable labour where we could have these truck drivers working for 32k a year doing 60 hour weeks that that is now unavailable and it's worse for petrol because you don't just need your HGV license to drive a petrol tanker because you're casting around a shitload of flammable liquid you need extra qualifications you need a crippling addiction to fumes 
And you don't get. You, you don't need to get, drink petrol. You know, you don't get, you know, the, the first rule is don't get high on your own supply. <laughs> the difficulty of getting these qualifications isn't reflected in the extra money that you get. A, mid, a middle manager at a petrol station dipping his finger into the tank of petrol and rubbing it on his gums when it gets there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's some good. That's clean. Oh, unleaded. <laughs> middle managers going around with ivory dipsticks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> licking petrol off a Bowie knife. <laughs> Yeah. Putting well, it into um, the Costa machine and making no, no, it just slicing out open, it. Just slicing open a barrel of gasoline, watching it drip out. Just like, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the corner of a barrel. The problem is capitalism, isn't it? The problem is yes, that we yeah. that we for not again. You know, a good. A good, <laughs> a good like, all right, Brendan. <laughs> fucking hell. No, no, not again, really. For a good 40, 40, 50 years, we've had just in time inventory management. Nothing's stored anywhere. It's got to be in transit yeah. all the time. Yes, yeah. And it turns out the the strongest uh, or the most important link in that chain is small L labor. Yeah. When you don't have the labor, the wheels stop turning. Yes. And 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 here we are. And here we are. Do you know what absolutely blew my nips off about this uh, man-made petrol shortage over the past couple of days? Is the um, as opposed to a natural petrol shortage? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, is uh, it's all man-made, Ed? <laughs> okay. Um, I, None of this is natural. I saw a, an ambulance driver tweeting that because of all the people going out and panic buying petrol, the ambulance couldn't fill up a petrol, and. It's one of those things where I guess I just never thought about it. Obviously, the ambulance needs to go to the petrol station. But obviously, I just assumed that all the ambulances get all their petrol from the hospital. Yeah, not necessarily like in the hospital. I, I just assumed that they've run out of down... petrol. sleeping on this barrel of petrol. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it speaks to me, you know, inefficiencies Doc, in the system. Why is, why is the ER so busy with people who've got petrol fume poisoning? You know, how many, how many people go into hospital to get things taken out of their body to get bits of their body chopped off yeah why can't that be used as fuel are you saying why don't the ambulances run on kidney stones and bits of liver yes i am (laughs) okay um because i don't know like the most feasible way for that if humanity could put a man on the moon in 1969 why can't we power our ambulances on urine samples and amputated feet in 2021 because i think the sort of it's the most effective way of doing that would be to like i don't know to like um instead of having like a massive sort of biofuel facility at every hospital how you would do that was you'd pump all the bits full of like amphetamine feed them to the ambulance drivers <laughs> and then have them sort of stick their feet through like the flintstones and that's no, that, how the ambulance the thing is the thing is uh, that's actually how uh, how the nazis moved into france so quickly in in 1939 Flintstone tanks. Yeah, yeah, Flintstone yeah. Tanks. I mean, yeah, yeah. The thing is, um, knowing the king community of this nation, like if you start powering your cars with piss and feet, everyone's gonna be start fucking their cars. <laughs> hey, we've all been there. I, yeah, I, yeah. I wish I could. Marry Emptying the tank and spraying it all over them. Listen, if if all it takes to solve the climate crisis is people fucking their cars, I will take feet. it. Piss and feet, yeah. Piss and feet, please. <laughs> Go easy on the feet. Yeah, <laughs> don't wrap it up too tight. I want it now. Piss and feet. Hold the piss. <laughs> I'm here to piss and feet and I'm all out of piss <laughs> I came here to piss and suck toes and I've already had a piss <laughs> I've already drunk piss <laughs> I, uh, yeah uh, the, the, yeah. knowing the dogging community of this country 
most of the, the most of this country's cars already run on kink if if you cut the if you actually removed more piss and more feet rather than adding more into the system people wouldn't use their cars nearly as much well that's the trolley problem isn't it <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> yeah you're right yeah people will dog on the trolley if they can't get petrol for their car <laughs> you think it's so stupid that for such a small country like that we probably use our cars as much as someone in like america might do or but, but we don't use them for travel we use them to just like park up and raw dog um yeah but at least in this country we've got the good decency to call it dogging and not to try and dress it up as as anything romantic or or, or nice and yet in the States, you know, make out point, lover's lane, it's, it's presented in, in so much media as this like cute thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, let's let's finish prom and I'll drive you up to a secluded area with no streetlights. Uh, but Barbie's going to drive me to Skullfuck Ridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going up to Skullfuck Ridge um, because I don't know, but it's the anniversary of that famous slasher's death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Showdown that, at Skullfuck that... Ridge is actually my favourite Western. <laughs> is that the ridge built on that ancient Indian burial ground? That's the one. That's the one, yeah. Sorry, ancient Indian uh, uh, graveyard. Um, it, it was the it was the it was the the it was where they buried all the victims of that Native American serial killer who died three hundred years ago today, um, and and hated people making out. Yeah. George Washington, yes, yes, the famous Native American George Washington. Oh, I thought you it said the Native. A... When you said Native American serial killer, I thought you meant a serial killer of Native Americans. George Washington was a bad shot anyway. I should have gone for probably, well, like Andrew Johnson. He was a bad one, wasn't he? Um, well, is there anyone else? more Native American than George Washington, the first president? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake. It's the only true American, really. Get his you know, this is a man that was, he was, you know, every tooth in his head. He was, he was Native American right down to the teeth in his head. Oh, I thought the yeah. teeth in his uh, head came from black slaves. Little column A, little column B. <laughs> Well, he was one with wooden teeth, right? No, his teeth were actually ripped out of his 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 dentures were actually made of teeth he ripped out of his slaves. Really? Yeah, wood, wood, yeah, wooden teeth is uh is the 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 slant that was put on later oh, to, no, get, the, to the, the portray school, him more the more sympathetic of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. His, oh it, my god! Yeah, George Washington's teeth were made from from the teeth of his slaves. This guy sounds like a bad guy. Yeah, once you actually look at American history, wow. But he did have his troops inoculated against smallpox, so who can say? Who can say if he was good or bad? Yeah, well, at least he wasn't an anti At least he was, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's depressing, like, that would... Checkmate, QAnon. That would kind of be funny if it wasn't the, like, the shit-lib consensus in America. Mm-hmm. If you didn't see tweets like that every day. Well, uh, well, uh, well as, as of recording... Um, let me see, because there's something coming up today. Someone, I believe, has been arrested in Kenosha. Charged, sort of, yeah. Someone's been charged. Uh, held in suspicion. Right. This is the second person, I believe, that this has happened to. We're talking about uh, Sabina Nessa. Um, uh, I mean, it's heartbreaking, and it's... It's just terrifying to see the same conversations going around and around again whenever a young woman is murdered. Um, We've spoken about this before, but 
Sabina Nessa did everything, air quotes, right. It not that it should matter if you do anything wrong. Yeah, but this is what I mean. This is this is why the the air quotes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like she sure. she did sure. it. She was doing everything as as was Sarah Everard that women are told to do in these situations. She was in a public space. It was light out. She was using her phone, and and nevertheless, she was um she was murdered in South London. Uh, yeah, horrifying. Um, I mean, my 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 love goes out to her family and and loved ones. Uh, I, I can't imagine what it must be like for them right now. Uh, I, I mean, you can't compare cases between this and Sarah Everard because the two, and I don't, I think it doesn't both an injustice to compare, right? Like, well, so, well this is like, even though it is this, but like, this is one of the, I mean, this is, this has been raised with, with the Gabby Petito case in the States as well, isn't it? Um, yeah. The, the, uh, as much as you may want to draw, uh, comparisons between cases and, and hope that might lead to to some sort of you know if you, if you consider the cases then maybe you, you come out of it with 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 a response or or, or something um but it, it it just invariably devolves into sort of privileged politics yeah and yeah. you know if you take a step back and you're arguing about which of which of any number of dead women had the most privilege then you need to reevaluate the lens with which you view these things. Yes, because privilege is very is is it is very individualized. It is very uh, it's it's a it's a viewpoint that's articulated sort of through a very individualized type of politics. And um, I, there's there's a really it's not about violence against women, but there's a really excellent piece in the latest issue of the Tribune. That talks about the limitations of, of sort of privileged politics and using that as your your lens by which you you engage with another one with you may societal issues. Yeah. Um, and and the, the the difference is with with Sarah Everard, for me at least, and obviously this 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 doesn't affect me as directly as it affects a lot of people. Um, is that it was just a, a a sort of a lot of factors crossing over each other, which made the Sarah Everard case so. Um, so uh sort of acute and it was the fact that it was a it was a, a serving police officer who was you know immediately figured suspicion it was the immediate over policing of the vigil that was held for sarah Everard, which i think inflamed tensions massively um yeah well, well, that, i don't think it's as i don't think it's as i don't think it's as simple as saying that, that there was more coverage of sarah Everard because she was white than there was of of, of, of sabina nasa because she wasn't no, because there was ultimately over a hundred <clears throat> women have died um, since Sarah Everard. Yeah, and we don't know almost any of their names. And I say over a hundred because there is a there is a sort of a charity campaign group that keeps count, and they have the number I think seventy seven. Um, but I don't believe that number because they're a transphobic organisation that excludes trans women from their figures. Yeah, exactly. the, the, the the sad truth is that violence against women is so normalised. Yeah, the the. It is in 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 any circumstance. If we know the names of the victims, it is in and of itself quite remarkable. It is a uh, an exception. Um, I yeah, I think yeah. Like the 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 Sarah Everard case was particular in that it was so so. First, firstly, like the the way that the police conducted the investigation was. Mm-hmm 
unusual because of the implication of a police officer in the in the crime. So immediately the police uh, sort of open to the public for information. The investigation was much more of an open book because the police very quickly were giving off the impression like we have no leads, like they were all over the place until eventually it came to light that the, the prime suspect was an officer of the law, uh, a law enforcement officer. Uh, and then there was just such heavy state intervention on every, on absolutely everything to do with it on such flimsy uh, pretext, pretext for, from then on. I mean, like the, the, a lot of the publicity in the Sarah Everard case, people must, I think, I think it's important to bear in mind because that there, there are different things that are getting publicity there. Like the vigil yeah. on the vigil on, on, the vigil on Clapham Common was a vigil for uh, women, the victims of, of patriarchal violence. Um, however, a lot of the publicity in the discourse following that was not because of Sarah Everard, but because of how the pr- police brutalised the women at those protests. Exactly, exactly. I think they're two very different things. You have to bear in mind what it is that's actually getting the the, the attention. Um I think I think there are similarities between them though. I went to uh, I popped along to to, to Kidbrook Grove on on Friday evening for uh, yeah. Sabina's vigil, and I was struck by the prevalence of reclaim these streets posters. Uh-huh. Right, and I'm just going to put it out there: reclaim reclaim the streets are to me what um, the SWP are to to left wing demos. We've talked about they, this. We've yeah. talked about in it before, Sarah but they, they, and it was the case with Sarah Everard as well. For for those of you who need a reminder, it was uh, reclaim these streets, um, along with Sisters Uncut, who had sort of planned the vigil. Um, the police then immediately told organisers that the vigil could not go ahead. At which point, reclaim these streets immediately backed down, and Sisters Uncut did not. And it was down to the fact that Sisters Uncut did not back down that the vigil took place. Yeah. And that's really, really important. Um, I, I'm not sure the degree of involvement that Sisters of Uncut had had with organising the vigil in Kibbutz Grove. Um, to my knowledge, and happy to be corrected on this, it was more of a, a, a genuine sort of community response for people who knew Sabina personally. Um, but still seeing that that the the the, the hyper... Um, I was so hyper aware of how much reclaim these streets sort of paraphernalia was was dotted around that that vigil, and I was and I was very much not in the thick of it because I didn't think it was ironically my my place to centre myself. I sort of stood off to the side, um, and they were also giving interviews to the media, and you know that's I think it is important to note the similarities between the two because it is a very liberal uh white feminist co-opting of 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 grief and i think and i think we see it all the way through society i think in the way that that you know if, uh, did you see did you see sarah everard's mum crying on the media at any point following her death i didn't no but i've i've seen sabina's mother her sister sister her auntie i've seen them crying and i think this, the same is true when we see uh deaths of of, of young black people um, around the country, the the so often the grief, the very personal, very real grief of mothers and fathers and siblings is, it, I don't want to say weaponized because that's a strong word, but it's it is almost packaged as entertainment, and mm. 
you know, for the people calling for, you know, where are the media for, for Sabina Nasser? I think it's, we need to be mindful of what that additional media coverage when it comes actually means, because ultimately the, the media aren't there to, 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 to deliver justice. They're not there to, to, to right wrongs there. Uh, yeah. I, I, there I, I, to, to sell news. I, I absolutely like, com- I completely agree with you. I think there are, very, very important discussions to be had around not the the kind of like quantity, not the quantity or the density of media coverage surrounding like comparable situations like this, but the type the type of coverage is absolutely absolutely a conversation that we need to have. Uh, and, it's, and it's really important because you know why. Why do we have to see, why do we have to view ourselves, the grief of, of non-white people in order to, almost in order to view them as human? We didn't need to see Sarah Everard's mum on the telly because we understood it. And when I say we, I'm not talking, I'm talking, you know, society, if you like, societally. Um, but, but somehow we do need to see that. We do need to have this reaffirmation of humanity from, from non-white, non-white people or else people won't engage with it but it does feel like the marketization of grief and it makes me it makes me deeply uncomfortable to to have to to have to watch that because it's it's an intensely personal private process that i don't think they shouldn't have to feel that 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 should be the norm and the status quo is is and it's something that maybe we'll talk about more deeply in another time perhaps with a guest because we you know we haven't really articulated our thoughts on this and but it is it is there's just something grubby about it for me yeah uh, just uh, quickly going back i've from a brief look at sisters uncut's twitter it seems like they did have a uh, uh, a presence at the vigil but not but just sincerely taking part in it and not like you say co-opting it um and it's again you know the, the response to these things is is you know more more police on the streets more more punitive. I mean, I, I watched, uh, there was an urgent question in the Commons. Um, even now, you know, the, the, the week seemed to roll into one. It was either this Wednesday or last Wednesday. Um, Harriet Harman asked an urgent question of the government to say, what the fuck's going on? Uh, and the minister responded. And then when it came time for Labour's response, it was our favourite, Jess Phillips, who, who, who responded on, on the part of Labour. Um, and immediately she was calling for more sentencing. Um, she wanted, uh, there was, right. and I don't know the, the extent to which this this constitutes Labour Party policy, but you would have to assume yes. from, you know, a Labour minister responding at the dispatch box that it is Labour Party policy. She drew a specific uh, uh, comparison to terrorism. And she said, why aren't we viewing this as terrorism? And I think there is, in a, in a very abstract sense, uh, a legitimacy to that. In the sense that many, many women, many, many women feel terrorised. I was, I was talking to a friend yesterday, not even about anything, just catching up with a mate, and she was telling me how she wanted to make the most of the time before the clocks went back, because when yeah. the clocks go back, suddenly, even anything after four pm, it's a dangerous time to be out if you're a woman. So, and there is an element of women I've feel terrorised. Women feel terrorised. I've had a, a yeah, I've, I've, I've even like. Yeah, I've, I've had lots of conversations over mm-hmm. the past but, week when or we, so. When we, from, when we look when, at the way that yeah. the, 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 yeah. the minorities have been have been policed over the last 
two decades following 9-11 and, and whether that has actually led to people being more safe, feeling more safe. <laughs> it's not. So why, why again, the immediate recourse to if, policing, to, to carcerization? If you guys will permit me, uh, I'd like to, to, to pick up something that we talked about uh, in our group chat this week, uh, sort of linking back to, to this and to, to the Gabby Petito case in America. And like, like you say, it was the same after Sarah Everard, where the, where the immediate, the knee jerk response was more like tougher policing. Like why the, the this week has also seen a, story about a a a woman in prison having to deliver her own baby herself mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. bite through this, the umbilical this, cord this, this happened two years ago um, um but the prison but ombudsman has re- released a report this week this week yeah sorry my bad uh why do we think that and this is why i think it's certainly important to 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 to, to properly analyze the type of media coverage after events like this in, in all ways, not just directly related. What we're seeing now, Pat mentioned it earlier, over the past couple of days, the sort of every, every news outlet with sort of breaking news, push notifications, banners about updates into to what the police are doing in the wake of uh, Sabina's murder. It was the it's the same in Gabby Petito's case. Law enforcement has suddenly been massively lionized, and there is a huge, there's huge, huge public support for them and what they're doing. But why do we think have we not learned our lessons? Why do we think women, especially women of color, are any any safer being looked after by the police force and the carceral justice system? It's simply not the all evidence points to the contrary. This is one of the reasons I think that. The true crime obsession is is seriously seriously dangerous because nobody ever like the, the most well, I mentioned this the most famous like true crime stories that really kicked off the the obsession if you will over the past few years without fail a massive part of all of them is how badly the police have fucked up and how preventable so much of what happened mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. been there is like there's been a uh, a slew, especially in the Gabby Petito case, of after the fact, 911 calls and police body cam footage of the couple following like domestic violence disputes and nothing was done. Like if, the If I can go back to the to the, the Ombudsman report, um, just to make a point in support of what you're saying, Ed, um, the most shocking part of that report to me, and and I've I've read it from start to finish because the the, the charity that I work for now does a lot for we advocate for gypsy Romani travellers, gypsy Romani travellers, and they are massively overrepresented in the in the criminal justice system. So it's a really important report for me to read. And the single most, I mean, I won't say the single most shocking. The single most shocking thing is that a woman uh, was in a prison cell giving birth. She rang. She was already on what's called extended observation, which means she should have been visited at least three times in the night, not by uh, a prison officer, but by a nurse. It never happened. She rang the buzzer in her cell multiple times. No one came to see her. She gave birth and bit through the umbilical cord herself. But the most shocking thing for me is that the the prison officers who, and I use this term loosely, responded to the incident were offered bereavement counselling. The woman wasn't. Mm. And it's it's... There's just something about that that just really leaves something in my throat. It's so unconscionable. Disgusting. 
Yeah, it is disgusting. And there's nothing that I can say to add to that. Like, if you, you need to hear that and understand how disgusting it is, there's no commentary that I can offer which, which will really, yeah, yeah. which will make that more, more clear. So, so, so there's no analysis to it apart from just it's vile, it's disgusting. It's like, yeah, you know, the, the, it's irresponsible. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's unconscionable. It's, it's, it's unthinkable. Unconscionable, it's just, unthinkable, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, the state, as a general rule of thumb, doesn't protect women. And that, ha- that happens in very direct ways, as we've seen in this case, but it happens in very indirect ways as well, like the mm. £20 universal credit cut. Yeah. Which yeah. will have a profound impact on, on, on women more than men. Yeah. Absolutely more than men, because it is women who are in more, you know, there is precarity across the labour market, but it's women who feel that more deeply. It's through yep. the pandemic when, when, when the care sector was in shambles and people weren't getting the support that they needed. That affects women more than men. There are problems replete. So calling on the state to be the, the institution that provides justice is, is, is not the one. No. It's not no. the one. It's as simple as that. Throw it in while we can say that. Yeah. Um. But it's important to talk about. And, you know, hit us up on Twitter or on email if you have thoughts on it. Yeah. Uh, Because it's it's an ongoing discussion, obviously, because these things keep happening. Mm -hmm. It's an ongoing discussion. And I said, when we discussed this in the group chat this week, um, and I'd raised his problem with the sort of the the true crime. I don't know what you'd call it. Movement. Hysteria. Obsession. Hysteria. Yeah, hysteria. Um, I sort of said jokingly that that if we want to see a few if we generally want to see an abolitionist future, prison and police abolition, the true crime nutcases will have a role to play in that. And I and I and I stand by that because if we want to find alternatives to to state enforcement and justice, then we need to think about how we can as communities respond to to violence against women particularly and the justice isn't through the state it's and i've said it i've said it again you know with tongue-in-cheek before but i think we need to look at things like how the jewish community have shomrim in the uk as their own sort of community um and it is a police force it is it is an institution that, that 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 replicates the systems of power that the police actually have. But if we want to create a truly abolitionist future where we are accountable to each other, both individually and collectively, these weirdos will have a part to play in that. I hate I know to you, say it. I, I know you're true. being I know you're being tongue in cheek, but I'll let me take let me take you seriously for a sec. I've done a lot of like looking into and research on the the kind of armchair detective aspect of the true crime community. And uh uh I mean, to well, preempt well, what you're going to say, to, or to add my own sort of addendum to that, I think it's, it's you know, the first thing you have to interrogate is to what extent do the true crime aficionados want social justice and to what extent do they want to be right? Uh, yes, and also, like, to what extent is it just a lot of weirdos out for blood? Um, l- l- like Parallels, and- really, between the true crime community <laughs> and the Labour right. And also, uh, but also, you know, like a lot of the the armchair sleuthing is is like is damaging in the end game purely because the 
the, anything they do will the inevitable result of that is the intervent is in it is the intervention by a punitive castle justice system like a lot of the stuff like and they do get it wrong a lot so what like, i'm a, hearing a lo- from you ed is yes the vigilante justice uh yeah yeah, yeah, more absolutely. more Batman's. No, uh, like yeah, like a lot of the times, the the reason that the internet when internet sleuths get it wrong, the reason it becomes so disastrous is because they're getting it wrong and then passing it over to mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the state. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also want to caution against, uh, in fact, the use of armchair detective, because if we want to, I use a parallel here, Solskjaer is not having the greatest time at the moment. People think he should be doing better as the United manager with the the, the embarrassing uh, riches that he has at his There's disposal. There's a sort of Man United stuff. But, but those... This is how this relates to Man United. But the thing yeah, is, listen, but the, this, is the, the, this is the longest you've ever gone without making an analogy about Man U. But, but, yeah. the, thing, but the thing with that is... Yeah, how was that 1-0 loss to Villa? Can, can I just <laughs> say, let, let's, not call it, let's not call it Man U. It's Man United. All right, Man, U, Man U as a term has its roots actually in the Munich Air disaster. Does it? City fans started calling United fans Man U and then it became Man U, Man U, Man U, Man U, Man U, Man U. And it's, it's, we can trace this to about 1960. Oh, right. But this is, this is for, another, for another episode. All right. I um, my, but my but the, the things we've, we've been in... How was the 1-0 Lost to Villa though? With, was it was terrible. It was terrible. With the thing we've been an armchair pundit is... You couldn't do better. You know, if any armchair pundit was put in charge of a football club, mm-hmm. you would not do better than whoever was in that football club at that time. The yeah. thing with armchair true crime well, aficionados well, I mean, you, is they really can do one. the job of the police because the police are shit anyway. They're yeah, capable yeah, yeah. of doing anything. So sure. so to have just random members of the public is, yeah, I agree that it's it's a terrible outcome when they reach the wrong outcome and then pass that over to the police and then that gets acted on. But it's essentially just adding a middleman to what is the status quo anyway, which is the police re- reach the wrong conclusion and then pursue it anyway. So it's sort of, is it does it does does it really disrupt the system to have the true crime people involved? Here's the ideal. Here's the ideal justice system. And by the way, Man United is spelled M X N U T D. I uh... that's only happened since uh, Elon Musk purchased a, a controlling <laughs> share in the club. I I everybody a centralized database that everybody in the world has access to uh, logs individual bounties. Anyone can put a bounty on whoever they choose if they have enough credits in their Amazon.com credit bank. I see you're also (laughs) watching The Mandalorian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be it for us. Please, please leave us a rating and leave us a review and uh, subscribe if you haven't. And to get in touch with us on Twitter, if you've got anything to say about what we've been talking about. Um, thank you for listening. Any anyone else got any last thoughts before we leave off? Uh, I've got no. a last thought. Oh, Next episode <laughs> is number fifty. Oh yeah, please like, yeah, tune in. It's yeah. a big one. Uh, it's episode exciting. fifty, and we'll all be in the same room. Big plans for episode fifty. Fast live record. Yeah, we will all be in the guests. same room. Actually, for the first time in history. Yes. Yeah. We've, we've never met, been... we've met. We've all met in person before. Yeah. But never but in we've room. never ever been in the same room at the same time. We were outside at a pub, and mm-hmm. we all we all kept sort of daring each other furtively. What if we all went to the toilet at the same time? But we never ended up doing it. Never. Did um, uh, but now you that's all toxic see... masculinity for you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We were playing uh, we were playing Peruda with each other's cock sizes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, good evening, Great Britain. Good evening, Great Britain. Two fives. <laughs> <laughs>